Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking, indeed. Although not, I don't know, not a lot of debunking again this week. <laughs> Maybe we will see. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I'm excited to find out. Uh, this is one, I think... It, you know, it falls into a famous case for Australia. Ooh. It's it's one that Americans, you know, if you're a true crime American, which I know a lot of you are, you've probably heard of the case. But if you are less, then you may not know the case we're covering. But in Australia, it is quite well known. But it's not the cannibal one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Got it. Um, well, you know, okay, so... Something I found really interesting when I started researching this, and it comes up a lot when I'm researching cases uh, of a specific time period. You know that I like stuff that's, like, I, I love my older cases. Yep. Yeah, we know this. We know. If, if, if the listeners have not picked up on this at this point, then guess what? Kim loves uh, classic cases, cold cases. Um, with some of our older cases, stuff that happened a long time ago, like the Bender family. To me right. is a great example. Or, or like even our friend Vlad, if we want to go way, way back. Everybody's named Vlad. Everybody's named Vlad. Um, like verifying details becomes hard because records are spotty or non-existent, right? Right. Cases happening like early 1900s, you're dealing with like, oh, okay, crime scenes aren't as well maintained. Uh, evidence is, evidence, hey. Evidence. Evidence. Is is tainted. So you have like all these kind of idiosyncrasies, depending on the time period, about what was sort of going on. Our case today takes place in the 60s. Ooh, recent. More re I mean. Ish. If you want to feel a little depressed, like the 60s oh, no. was 60 years ago. <laughs> okay. Hey, You're welcome. Up. You're welcome. But I mean, compared to like Vlad the Impaler, sure, more recent. Yeah. Context. Uh, context. But when you're looking at something from the 60s, you have to kind of look at the different way of living, particularly if you had kids. Right. Because, like, you could just toss your kids outside. <laughs> right? Just real casual. Just, just real casual. Just them chuck out them out like a football. I, I mean, even, like, young kids. Well, well we saw this with, with Mary Bell. Mm -hmm. You had these 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 kids, like these four-year-olds that were like chucked outside or like, you know, be home by dark. You're playing with other kids. You're safe. You're fine. You don't need adult supervision. Kids were looking out for each other. Neighborhoods were presumably safe. Sure. I had some of this when I was a kid, I, which was not the 60s, P.S. No. No. But, I mean, did you have any of this? Like, I remember, at least in the summer times, kind of getting chucked in the backyard, being told, like, okay, unless you're bleeding, leave me alone. I'm on a phone call. No, I was an only child who lived in Southern California. So my overbearing parent never let me do that. Okay, so <laughs> my my dad traveled a lot for work, so he was gone all the time. My mom worked from, she worked from home before it was cool. Like, she was working from home um, when my brother was born, and my brother is older than me. But, like, she was CFO of a small company. But, nice. you know, she she had to work. So in the summertime, my brother and I, she'd, like, chuck us outdoors. If you're not bleeding, don't bother me. I'm working. Sure. Um, so 
the 60s in Australia was a lot of that. Your kids roaming around, everything was cool. The case we're talking about today, a direct result of this case was a change in the tone in this region of Australia for how people kind of dealt with what their kids were doing. And, and this one of kind of trust to fear. So the case we're going to be talking about today is the Beaumont children and their disappearance. Ooh. Are you familiar? Have you heard much of this case before? Probably very vaguely, but with my COVID brain fog, I don't remember much of anything these <laughs> <Poor> days. Poor Gabby. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I am going to give a little bit of a blanket warning right now. We're going to be talking about, at times, some sensitive subjects. Um, sexual assault of children, the murder of children. If that's something that you're not really feeling down to listen to, um, Maybe go look up one of our lighter episodes on a light haunted castle. Maybe a sex demon. Maybe a werewolf in France. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. But but this one might be upsetting. Uh, and so just just kind of a fair warning right off the bat. Uh, I will also say, <laughs> how many times am I going to say that today? Take a shot every time Kim says it. One of the first things that popped up when I started researching this case was like, holy shit, Australia. Y'all have had some bonkers things go down. Like some truly heinous and bizarre cases that are now on my list to research. So congratulations. Woohoo. You're basically the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> nice. Yeah, right? Nice. Um, I want to give a shout out to Alan J. Whitaker's book, Searching for the Beaumont Children, Australia's Most Famous Unsolved Mystery. Uh, it was a great source in my research, and, and I relied on it very heavily, so I, I want to make sure to acknowledge that here uh, on the podcast. So anyway, let's... <laughs> enough of Kim's ramblings. Nice, nice. It's, you love my ramblings. Everybody do. does. Yes. January 26, 1966. The city of Adelaide, Australia. Adelaide is the largest city in the state of South Australia. Which, like, Australia has states. So, cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's described as the city of churches because of the large diversity of faith, which was kind of cool. Was a safe place, a good place to raise a family. Nice. January 26th also, that's Australia Day. It's like their national founding day. Or, I, I mean, I guess, like, the day the British landed and we're like, hey, this is ours now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the quote-unquote founding. I mean, founding. It's, you know what, again, that's a whole other can of worms that is not our podcast, but we should at least acknowledge. Um, so January 26th, some of our listeners might not know this, but it's Australia. Australia located in the Southern Hemisphere, which means the season's there are in reverse oh, of the yes, Northern that's Hemisphere. True. Yeah. So January, summertime. This particular January wasn't just summertime. It was hot. Toasty. Toasty. It's Wednesday. It's the suburb of Somerton Park. The Beaumont family, Jim and Nancy, were parents to three children. Jane, 
age nine, who was described as a pretty girl with sun-bleached hair, freckles, and prominent teeth. Oh, yeah. that leaves you uh, something to imagine. I mean, it's the 60s, too. I'm not sure how much, like, braces were a oh, thing. Oh, no. I just yeah. think Austin Powers, like original Austin Powers. I think Hermione Granger, because she's got the, like, prominent... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, okay. I didn't pay attention to Harry Potter. Yeah, you're probably better <laughs> off for it. <laughs> Uh, She was a bright girl, but she was very shy, and she spoke with a stutter when she got excited. Got it. Arna? A-R-N-N-A. So it was hard when I I watched a documentary about it, and every time they said her name, it kind of sounded like Arna? Anna? Arna? Anna? The accent. I don't know if it sounds more like Anna when you have an Australian accent, but it's spelled with an R, so I'm calling her Arna. Arna, Sure. So Arna, age seven, had brown eyes, dark hair, and Grant, age four, had brown hair. All three children were still afraid of the dark. Oh, Yeah. Grant still wore diapers to bed at night. They'd been enjoying their summer break as a family. Jim, who worked as a salesman in Snowtown, was returning to work after having had some time off for the holiday. It was going to be very hot this day. Temperatures were going to hit 100 degrees. Kids wanted to go to the nearby Glenelg Beach to swim, which is lovely when it's 100 degrees. Yeah, sure. Go go for a nice cool down little dip. Go for a little dip. They'd made the trip with their father just the other day. They knew to stay together. They knew where it was safe to swim. Of the children, Jane was the good swimmer, and she's older, that makes sense. The other two were not quite as good, uh, but but as long as she was kind of looking out for them, keeping an eye on them, it should be fine. Sure. So Nancy agreed to let the kids take the bus on their own to the beach. Oh, bad news bears. Well, again, 1966, normal news bears. <laughs> Just regular old... News bears. Just news bears. Just just adorable news bears. Um, it wasn't a long bus ride. Some of the accounts I read said it was only like five minutes. So, uh, again, uh, I think it's really easy sometimes to judge cases like this and be like, oh, parents should have never let them do it. But this was normal. Yeah. Nancy gave the kids eight shillings and six pence, which is like 85 cents then and about eight bucks today from what I could find. It was enough for them to get on the bus and you know, purchase some lunch. She wanted them to be home by midday. They left about 10 a.m. that morning. By midday, they were not back. Uh Uh-oh. Nancy didn't think a whole lot of it. You know, maybe they missed the bus. If they did, there wasn't another one till 2 p.m. Well, Jim got home at 3.30 p.m. Children still hadn't returned. Uh Uh-oh. So Jim drives to the beach to look for them. Nancy's waiting at home just in case maybe they decided to walk. But they're getting more frantic. And by 5.30 p.m., they call the police. Jim would later say, I went to the police station because it was the only thing to do. If you can't find your children, you'd logically go to the police station. They had never been missing from home before. I knew there was something wrong if they weren't home. So a more official search started, and news that there were three children missing broke on the radio at about 10 p.m. that night. Moiston Matters 
Hashtag Kim's favorite names. Wow, that's a great name. It's a great name. Moisten. Moisten. He was working at the police station the day they disappeared. He remembers all of these witnesses and people coming forward. And he would say, at the time, we were inundated with people that wanted to come and give information. And all we had was a little room at the front of the police station that was used for the witnesses of the court. We had one phone for the main police station. That's all we had. And people were queuing up to give statements and what have you. And we only had a sergeant and four men there. They were just snowed under. And by the time you interviewed people, and it was just one of those things where you could only do your best. We still had our own work going on. There were still crimes being committed in Glen Elk. I feel like this kind of gives you an idea, though. They were not set up for three missing children. No, not at all. Not at all. And this was such an unprecedented kind of crime. So police are working and they're trying to lay out a timeline of where the kids had last been seen. They caught the bus at about 10, 10 a.m. Bus driver remembers seeing them getting on the bus, doesn't recall them getting off. They most likely got off at the Jetty Road Mosley Street bus stop, which was outside of Wenzel's Cake Shop. Yum. I know. <laughs> it's also weird to me because I have a friend whose last name is Wenzel, and I want to be like, are you related? <laughs> Probably not. There were seven eyewitnesses, including some friends from school, recall seeing them at the beach as of about 11.15 a.m. Others who recalled seeing these kids playing in the shallow water. A 74-year-old woman recalled seeing the children frolicking. That was the exact word used, frolicking. With a tall man whom she described as being about 6'1", white, slender, suntanned, maybe a surfer? <laughs> Question mark? Question mark? I don't, I, the only thing I can think with that is that because he was like tan and slender and looked like, I don't know, cowbunga dude. Um he had uh, fair or light brown hair. He was 30 to 40. She saw them at about 11 a.m. When she left around noon, the children were still playing with this man. Another witness would later come forward, say that she'd also seen a man matching that description with three children. An elderly couple recalled seeing that same man approach them, saying that their money had been stolen. Uh-oh. Their money. Not the children's money. Their money had been stolen. He was also observed helping the kids put their clothes back on. Like, you know, they'd been wearing swimsuits and had, like, put shorts and stuff over their swimsuits. He helped them get dressed again. And this was a fact that really alarmed Bill and Nancy because Jane particularly was super, super shy. She would not casually let a stranger. A stranger, yeah. And, I mean, she was old enough that, like, this isn't something usually a kid that age would need help putting their shorts back on. So right. that, that was a fact that really stood out. Interesting. The missing money is also significant because this means that the kid's bus fare to return home is also gone. Which would be a convenient excuse for someone to, say, offer them a ride home. Sure. Or escort them as they walk home. So the man apparently went to change and the children waited for him. 
Now, the elderly couple left at about 12.15, and they said that the children were still there when they left. The last sighting that can be confirmed was back at Wenzel's Cake Shop, right Mm -hmm. next to the bus stop. The kids came in with a one-pound note, bought some pasties and some lunch, and they asked for another lunch to be placed in a separate bag. So you might recall they were given money from their mother, right? Right. It was not a one-pound note. It was change. It was, it was you know. Um, so this was absolutely a different kind of money than what their mom gave them. Interesting. Money, yeah, money they received from someone else. Now, Tom Patterson, the postman, recalls seeing the kids holding hands and laughing in the road sometime around when he started his shift, which he said would have been between 145 and 255. This is what got reported across the board. This is what you find as being reported in terms of when they were seen. However, a document from the police that was provided to the author of Searching for the Beaumont's Children lists another time the postman saw the children. He lists the time originally recorded as 10.55 a.m. That's weird. However, a document uh, from the police that was provided to the author of Searching for the Beaumont's Children lists the time the postman saw them as 10.55. That is not the same. Not the same time at all. And this is a really significant Detail because if the postman saw them between 145 to 255, he's now the last person to see them. Right. If he saw them that morning at 1055, then the last sighting was them at Wenzel's cake shop. Mm-hmm. Because that, like, that's it. No other conclusive sightings, no sign of them, no sign of anything. So understanding what time that sighting took place is really important, but it also goes to show how easy it is for details to either get misreported or for someone to misremember. I don't blame anybody misremembering anything ever anymore. No, absolutely not. But it's sort of why when you're looking at literally any case where you're dealing with eyewitnesses, Eyewitnesses are unreliable. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily think we are when we're talking about things we've seen. But at the end of the day, I mean, think back to like a week ago. Do you remember last Sunday at 532? What were you doing? Nope. I don't remember what I was doing yesterday at 532. Sure. But also COVID brain fog. (laughs) Right. But like, I couldn't tell you what I was doing last week at 532. I know, like, some of the things I did that day. I don't know what times I did them. I even think about when I have a regular work schedule, which I don't always. What is that? That's an oxymoron for you. It's an oxymoron for me. But, you know, like, if I'm teaching a summer camp, but then if something goes different, am I remembering the schedule I normally have or am I remembering what actually happened? It's This is why eyewitness reports cannot be the be-all, end-all when we're looking at cases. Sure. So, two weeks go by. Nothing. Police think they're looking at three possible scenarios. First scenario, children drowned. Now, this seems unlikely, 
It was hot. Beach was crazy busy. Sure. One kid by itself, sure. Maybe a child could drown without anybody noticing. But three children together, that's unlikely. Very unlikely. Second scenario. The children had voluntarily run away. This one is also dismissed pretty quickly. Kids were young. I mean, like, I remember being that age and be like, oh, I'm going to run away and packing a tiny bag with my stuffed animal and, like, some Band-Aids and a granola bar. Um, But it was play, you know? You don't actually... Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Like, pack a runaway bag? I mean, I did that when I would get... I mean, I the the term teen angst is strong oh. in my blood. It was strong before I was a teen. It is strong now. Um, it's not really ever left me as a human. Sure. I think when whenever I like packed a bag to run away, it was like with all of the intent to actually run away. But I would just walk really far, and then my mom would come pick me up. <laughs> Like, and it would be because we got into a stupid argument that was explosive. And I was like, I'm leaving. Uh, So it wasn't necessarily like, I'm going to pretend like I'm running away for funsies. It was more like, no, I'm out. (laughs) It was a little bit of a different, different situation that never really uh, came to fruition, if you will. I I remember being like a legit little kid and having this, I don't know, green plastic suitcase that maybe I got from like McDonald's as a. This was back oh when gosh. McDonald's gave like crazy, like, like you know. the toys. Yeah. And, and it was even less about the running away and more like, what could I fit in here if I had to go, you know, like it was a game. It was a game. That's like so at cute. that age, you play act things. Right. And so, and like, okay, I can fit these things in it and I want to try to fit a stuffed animal in it, but they didn't ever really fit. So what stuffed animal could I fit? So it, at this age, you're, there's no angst. <laughs> like not, not these yet. Kids. These kids are fine. So. <laughs> And they were happy. That was just it. There was nothing right. in their home life um, or, or their home life with their parents to suggest that they were in any way unhappy or that they would need to run away. So that leads us to the third scenario, the sad and scary scenario. The kids were most likely abducted. And if they were abducted, they have probably met with a tragic fate. And I don't know what other scenario that realistically could have happened to you? I mean, unfortunately, no. I I hate that that's kind of like where the brain goes in these types of situations. But here we are. Here we are. Uh, Nancy spoke to reporters shortly after. This is really heartbreaking. Like, it was, I mean, understandably hard on her, but she was kept kind of sedated for the first few days because she was so just devastated and upset and unable to function. So sad. So some of the first remarks that she gave to reporters were, I don't think they're alive. Oh. But I haven't lost hope. And all I want is that they come back. I've got to look at it at both sides, but it's the time that is getting to me. It has been too long. I can't be stupid and say that they're going to come in with a skipping rope. I've got to feel that the little things are huddled up somewhere and nobody has found them. Excuse me for crying in front of you fellows. I've got to keep busy. I do little jobs, mop floors, clean ashtrays, and smoke cigarettes. 
I've done my little bit of praying all to myself. And then as she was talking about the children, she would say, they're very affectionate. They're lovely to one another. If the other two were very keen to go with somebody, Jane would go with them to look after them and wouldn't leave them alone. And then she said, I'm inclined to think that it was all over on the Wednesday afternoon. Whoever it was had nothing to lose. Oh, my God. That's so dark. It is heartbreaking. And honestly, later on, she completely reversed her position um, and went very full on into, I believe they're alive. I have hope they're alive. I think they're alive. And I I cannot blame her for swinging back and forth between this. For sure. Um, I can't imagine what this is like. It's Because it's also, it's not... God, it sounds trite to be like it's not even one of your kids, but all three of your children. One child didn't go missing. All three of your children went missing. And I cannot fathom what that would feel like. No. Enter Gerard Quasset to the scene. I may have just butchered his name, but honestly, he was kind of a shit, so I don't care. All right. Fair. (laughs) I care more about getting people's names right when I respect them. I don't respect this dude. He was a Dutch psychic who had, like, I don't know. He was a Dutch psychic who was just like, let me help you because I'm psychic and shit. Um, Can you? Okay. (laughs) That's qualified. Yeah. Right. Can you hear the quotes around help? Uh I'm going to help you. Okay. So honestly, this is an entire section of the case that gets given quite a bit of attention and boiled down to literally nothing. he, He comes out. He had a bunch of visions of what happened to the children, which led to a lot of searching and literally turned up nothing. So honestly... I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this guy because like his contribution boils down to a couple sentences of, you know, I I thought I knew some shit. I apparently didn't. Um, I don't mean to sound quite so disdainful. No, that's a lie. I do. You Uh, just don't care. It's fine. I love him. Even, you know, I read articles and huge chunks are devoted to him. And I'm like, but he did nothing. All he did was stir the media up. Uh, he said, he did say, he said that the man who was seen with the children didn't have anything to do with their death, but they were dead. They died in an accident and were buried alive. He said, there was no foul play, nor were they kidnapped. The children are dead. I am certain they suffocated, smothered alive. There was some sort of collapse. Um, understandably, (laughs) this upset Jim and Nancy. Uh, yeah. Can't imagine why. So Jim responded, Nancy and I are very upset about this statement, and if we meet him, we'll tell him so. As parents, we believe our children are still alive, and we don't like people saying that they were not. (laughs) That's like the most, uh, duh statement, (laughs) like, ever. So anyway, he, 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 again, he stirred up the media. It was a lot of rubbish. People dug a bunch of shit up. Nothing came of it. Of course. The end. end. That's it. That's it. That's all I really want to say. Okay, no, I'll say this. I want to be clear. I am not shitting on psychics or mediums, so please don't dear ghoulish tendencies me on this. 
I shit on anyone who is using the tragedy of missing children and the grief of parents for publicity. Yeah. Because despite this dude's claims, nothing I found, not even like, let's put the Beaumont children aside. I looked into this dude. Nothing he did helped on any other missing persons case through the years. He yielded zero results. So, yeah, I shit on that. Like, that's not what we would consider a reliable source. No, no. And, and like, these poor parents. Uh, I guess I, I worked with it spooked some lovely mediums and some lovely people who I genuinely believe have abilities. I in no way, I know I, I you know, I scully left and right. I, I don't appreciate people praying on tragedy. Mm-hmm. And that's what this dude did. Absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> that's my TED talk. I'm Ted. Here's my talk. Across the world, new threats emerge. Man apes prowl the forests of North America. Giant cephalopods entwine ships in the Pacific. Man-eating crocodiles gnash unsuspecting swimmers in Australia. But one bureau has you covered with the latest on monstrous shenanigans in your backyard. Tune in, gentle listeners, for breaking news fresh from the teletype. Listen closely, for your lives may depend on it. Turn up the volume. It's time for... The Monster Report. So, Jim and Nancy, they put up with a lot through the years. The case is publicized. They're receiving correspondence from people claiming to have visions of the children, information on the children. And bless them for how gracious they managed to stay mm-hmm. throughout all of this. But I I can't imagine the pain that would cause. In 1968, two years after the children disappeared, in fact, just just over two years because it was February, Jim and Nancy Beaumont receive a letter. A letter allegedly from the eldest, Jane, and the man who took the children. The first letter arrived, written in blue ink. I'm not going to read the entire text. Um, You can find it online. Here's a section, though, of what was written. Dear Mom and Dad, We are safe, so there is no need to worry about us. Oh, we really missed you in the last two years. At the beach on that day, we were walking to the bus stop when a man in a car stopped us and asked us if we wanted a ride. I said that we did. And that is how it all started. So it goes on. It says, you know, we're doing okay. Grant doesn't remember you guys because he was so little and it's been two years. But they were living with the man. He's always referred to as the man. That's really creepy. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly, I found that part really off-putting. Yeah. So they're living with the man in Victoria. And if Jim and Nancy came to Victoria and didn't call the police, they could be picked up in front of the Danganong. I'm praying 
yeah, it's a name. I'm praying I'm saying that correctly. The Danganong Post Office the following Monday. It was signed, Love Jane, Arna with one N, and Grant. This is Jane who is writing. So I, I said Arna with one N. That's not how her name is spelled. Her name is spelled with two N's. The handwriting also didn't seem to match Jane, although I mean, it's been two years, so you could make the argument her handwriting has changed. Sure. But it's hope. Like, again, these poor parents, because even in your heart of hearts, you could be like, this is not written by my child, but it's probably a hoax, but also I have to see, I have to try. So they do involve the police. Uh, Detective Sergeant Stan Swain. He had the letter forensically checked against some of Jane's old exercise books, and they did find there were some similar characteristics. So the Beaumonts and the detective make arrangements to go to Victoria next week, February 26 of 1968. Jim Beaumont went to the post office that morning. He waits. Call comes in. They ask the main office, you know, is there a man matching Jim's description outside? Caller was a man and had an Australian accent. Caller wanted someone from the post office to tell the man, Jim Beaumont, outside that uh, he was running behind, but he'd be there. That's shady. It's shady, but, oh, man, again, I can't imagine what this would be doing to him, thinking, okay, but, but somebody's saying they're going to show up. Another call comes in, saying Grant was sick, Grant the youngest, and they would be delayed until lunch. Which, like, dude, for a prank or a hoax, this is so, so cruel. Another message that Jim should move across the street. By 3 p.m., no one came. Oh. Another letter was postmarked uh, to the Beaumonts on February 27th, which would have been the day after the meeting. Once again, allegedly written from Jane. Dear Mom and Dad, we had a really beautiful lunch today. We had some turkey and a lot of vegetables. They tasted really nice. The man ugh, is feeding us really well. The man was very disappointed that you brought all those policemen with you. He knew all the time that they were there. He says that is why he sent the message to go across the street, so that it would disturb the positions of the policemen. Uh, this letter, when it was signed, did spell Arna's name correctly. With two N's? With two N's. Then another letter, posted February 29th, from the man. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Beaumont, I'm terribly sorry that I could not hand you your children back to you when you were in Dangadong, but I knew that you had detectives with you, and the main street was so busy. Actually, in a way, it is your own fault that I did not return them. I guess it is too late now, isn't it? I will put them on the train to Adelaide one of these days in the near future, so you had better have their rooms cleaned up. He goes on to talk more about the detective and that, like, oh, I'm sorry. The letter is signed, yours faithfully, the man. And this is this just like it breaks my heart. One final letter would come from Jane. It would say, 
I wish you could have got us when you were over here, but the man said that you brought some policemen with you. I wish that you had not done that. If you had not, we might have been home by now with you both. The man said that he will let us come home on the train one day. I want you to know and never forget, no matter what happens, that we still love you both very much. And I officially hate whomever sent these letters. Uh, It wouldn't be until the early 90s, when I think it was 92, when forensic evidence improved, police were able to use a fingerprint to trace the origin to a then 41-year-old man who'd been a teenager when he wrote the letters as a prank. And, like, I I didn't find a whole lot of details um, because of how much time had passed the... uh, the statute of limitations, there was nothing to charge this guy with, but like, yeah, when you're a young person, you can do some stupid, stupid things, but like, fuck this dude. I'm sorry. That sucks. That's just like so manipulative and like messed up to mess with a a family like that. So cruel because it's, it's not like, okay, you didn't send one letter, dude. You sent four and you called to see if this grieving family showed up at the post office. They did, because it's their kids, and that's what you do when you have children. So, no, I'm not feeling particularly charitable to this dude, but yeah, no, the letters were a hoax. Things went pretty cold again. And for the most part, remained cold. Um, There was a weird moment in 1986 when a suitcase was discovered packed full of newspaper clippings about the case. With, like, notes in the margins and bits underlined. Um, Mm -hmm. Apparently, the clippings were traced back to an elderly woman who was obsessed with the case. And when she died, her relatives just, like, you know, tossed the suitcase out at the dump, which... Behold my future. I was just going to say, yeah. Kim, this sounds like you as an yeah. old lady. No, this is this is going to be me. I'm going to be that, like, my murder board's going to find its way to the dump, and somebody's going to think that they found, like, some kind of serial killer trace mark or something. I don't know. <laughs> trace mark? I don't think that's a word. doesn't matter. Um, so the case is still unsolved. Bodies of the children have never been found. And at least as of 2016, when they were doing a bunch of articles on the 50th anniversary of the disappearance, police still received at least one call every four days. What? About this case. What were the, who were the calls from? I just like people who like, I mean, people who think that, you know, I think I've seen them as an adult or maybe I saw them as children. Well, I mean, think about, we talked about Black Dahlia. Like, they still get calls about the Black Dahlia murder. I know. It's just wild to think, like, the frequency of that every four days. And as of 2016, again, that was six years ago. But that's still, like... It's bonkers. Six years later. Like, that's insane. But this case in Australia was huge. Uh, it, it was, I mean, from what I've been reading... The, uh, I mean, the Black Dahlia was a sensationalized, like, murder case, and there was mm-hmm. a body. But it, it was that notorious there, you know? hmm Jim and Nancy, uh, their marriage did not survive, ultimately. Oh, sad. Uh, they remained good friends. Like, they very much cared about each other. But I, God, I get it, you know? Yeah. 
you lose all three of your children. <sighs> yeah. They they very much I think love and respected each other remained very close, but um I could kind of understand too, if nothing else, just the memory of it. That that you see this person every day and all you can think is that our children are gone. All of them. And I I I I I can't speak for Nancy. I don't know. I would imagine there was a part of her that probably felt a lot of guilt. Um sure. on both their parts, I'm sure, that felt guilt, but uh, Nancy died in 2019 at the age of 92. Jim, at the time of this recording, appears to still be alive. Dang. Yeah, he's in his 90s. Um, so, case has never been solved. Doesn't mean there have not been some suspects and other crimes that were linked to the children. One suspect was thought to have been responsible for a few other abductions, in fact. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, so Judith and Susan McKay, they were seven and five years old. They were close to their home on their way to school when they were abducted on August 26th of 1970. So this is four years after the Beaumonts. They'd left their home. They were heading to the bus stop. Their naked bodies were found two days afterwards in a dry creek bed. That is terrible. It's horrific. They'd been sexually assaulted, stabbed three times in the chest, choked to death prior to the sexual assault, Susan with the killer's hands. Judith had sands forced into her mouth and nose. No. And what's even more fucked up, their school uniforms had been folded and placed next to them with their hats and school bags. Even their socks were folded and placed inside of their shoes. Oh my God, who does that? I hate people. I hate people. Uh, Witnesses placed the girls with a slender man who was seen talking to them at the bus stop. He was later seen at the gas station filling up his car and apparently had the girls with him. The gas station attendant recalled one of the girls saying, when are you taking us to mummy? You promised to take us to mummy and noted that the girl seemed upset, which like, dude, do something that doesn't raise a red flag with you. Seriously. Like, I don't know if it's because I I work with children, but, like, when I'm out, if I see a kid distressed, I pay attention to how they're acting with the adult. It catches my eye when I see a kid. Like, not just a kid normally crying, but if I see a kid hooting and hollering about something, it perks up my spidey sense. And I tune in and I'm like, why are they upset? Are they upset because, like, kids get upset? Or are they saying things that means that somebody should come over and be like, hey, is everything okay? And that might just be because I'm a paranoid true crime person, but this isn't, this is, I can't imagine anyone hearing this and not being like, hey, maybe something's not right. Yeah. Or at least doing something about it. Like just checking in. So it'd be decades for this man to be arrested. A man named Arthur Stanley Brown. 
And upon his arrest, at least one witness recognized him as being responsible for another abduction. Oh, really? On August 25th of 1973, two girls, Joanne Ratcliffe, 11, and Kirsty Gordon, 4, disappeared from a soccer game at the Adelaide Oval. It's referred to a lot as the Adelaide Oval case or the Adelaide Oval disappearances. Mm-hmm. So Joanne was at the game with her parents. She was sitting next to Kirsty and her grandmother. Kirsty needed to use the bathroom. Joanne offered to take her. They never returned. Eyewitnesses later recalled seeing the girls speaking with a skinny-faced man who seemed to be about 40. Does that sound fam- familiar at all? Yeah, sounds a little familiar. Although, to be fair, <laughs> there's probably more than one skinny-faced dude floating around Australia. That is fair, yes. But a later witness would recall seeing a man pick up Kirsty and walk to the gates while Joanne was going after them. The man would grab Joanne's arm and drag her along, and another witness would later say, the child was crying, and a second girl who looked a few years younger than me, the witness was like 13, was running after the man, thumping him and punching into him and shouting, we want to go back. At the time, the witness assumed it was a pair of cranky kids with their dad. I can understand that. Yeah, Yeah. no, and I'm going to give this kid some credit because he was like a 13-year-old teenager. Absolutely, absolutely. A teenage girl named Sue Laurie, she witnessed the same thing. The last known sighting of uh, the two girls was about 90 minutes after they were abducted. A man was driving a few miles from the stadium and recalls passing them, noting that the girls seemed upset to the point where he almost stopped his car to see if he could help, but then decided against it. Oh, dude. When Arthur Stanley Brown was arrested in connection with the McKay girls' murders, Sue Laurie who was one of those witnesses to Joanne and Mm. Kirstie's disappearance, recognized him as the man she'd seen leaving the stadium with Joanne and Kirstie. That's telling. One, how chilling would that be? So, like, Sue Laurie was, like, 14. And she's watching the news decades after the fact and sees the guy who she is convinced is the same one she saw abducting these two little girls and he's being arrested for the murder of two other little girls. Like add him to the list of people whose penis deserves to be peeled like an onion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like I'm sorry. I, you know what? I've said I've had friends who text me like do you need to keep saying that somebody's penis should be peeled like an onion? These are all male friends. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Without hesitation, Without, yes. No, no, no. Because the thing is, if your penis does not deserve to be peeled like an onion, it should not bother you so much. If you're mildly uncomfortable by me saying someone's penis deserves to be peeled like an onion, I would examine my own actions. Or also just deal with it because some people's penises do deserve to be peeled like an onion. And Kim's uh, <laughs> tangent for the day has been accomplished. This is my TED talk. I'm TED. Here's my talk. This is your penis <laughs> tangent. But like, okay, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. But also, I do understand why people are concerned <laughs> if you keep bringing it up like every episode. <laughs> every, I haven't brought up peeling someone's penis like an onion in at least three episodes. You 
brought it up on the last episode that we oh, did. Shit, did I? <laughs> yes, you did. I don't remember that. You were, it was in regards to the haunted ca- castle where there was the dude who kissed the lady, and you were like, we should peel his penis like an onion because it was unprecedented and unwanted. Uh, okay, so maybe I default there a little too often. <laughs> Also, my memory only works once in a while. I was going to say, like, girl, I barely remember what our last topic was, let alone that apparently I said I talked about peeling someone's penis like it. This is why we're a great team, Kim. Okay, so I'm going to apologize. We don't need to peel everyone's penis like an onion. Also, if you're playing the drinking game where every time I say peel a penis like an onion, I'm sorry because you're probably dead now. Um, (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) We're good. So as I started to dig into Arthur Stanley Brown, I realized he could honestly be his own episode. I will give you, no, I'll give you the cliff notes. I am capable of delivering cliff notes at times. It's fleeting, but enjoy it while it lasts. He was born in 1912 in Queensland. He moved to Townsville at a young age. This is where the girls were abducted from. The McKay girls. I realize I now have to be specific as to which girls we're talking about. Yikes. He worked as a carpenter, and he came to the public eye in 1998 when a woman went to the police and told them he had molested five children 30 years prior. And that some of the time when he would take girls to molest them, it was the same spot the McKay sisters were found. You'd think he would, like, I don't know, think about that? Make better choices. Did Gary Ridgway... I mean, when you have that kind of compulsion, I, I, this is not me excusing. This is me, like, looking at just methodology. Um, he owned a car matching the description of the one uh, that was seen where the McKay girls were abducted. Mm-hmm. Uh, down to the weird colored door, because he had, like, one door that was a strange color. And he also apparently worked in the public sector or whatever and, and had done work at the girls' school. His first wife died of injuries sustained from a mysterious fall. That's some shady shit. That is what the experts define as shady shit, Gabby. That's some shady shit right there. Yeah, this was 1978. He also apparently had... God, I'm sorry. Sometimes, like, sometimes there's things that I I struggle with because I'm just like... This 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 all happened at the time, and nobody arrested him till '98. Great. Um, he blurted out that he had murdered the McKay sisters on two separate occasions. What? Once to a coworker, because you know what? I admit to murder to my coworkers all the time. Okay, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> I may have said that. Jokingly, to some people, allegedly. I don't know. It's possible. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Um, so, but listen, this was this is not somebody joking. This is somebody make I don't make specific murder jokes. I make general murder jokes. Okay. Thank you. Also, like water cooler chat. Hey guys, yeah. get, what did you do last weekend? Well, I murdered children. I murdered like, children. <laughs> 
That's, that's how different... you really are, have like an HR issue of like, is this well? Because not just I murdered real? children. I murdered specific children who were actually murdered. That's really different than me making a crack about like bodies buried in my backyard when I live in a downtown Seattle apartment building. Like, there's a difference, people. Okay. Why is <clears throat> no one paying attention or taking anything seriously? That's wild. This is. Mm, I have. I have feelings and thoughts, Gabby. Thoughts and feelings. Um. Anyway, he also confessed to a random man at the pub. That he murdered the McKay sisters. Why is this random man in the pub not a cop? (sighs) Why is it not me? So I can peel his penis like an onion. And we're back. (laughs) To be fair, in 1998, I would not have been old enough to enter a pub. So there is that. But old enough to peel a penis like an onion. (laughs) That's debatable. (laughs) So what what is... Okay, so listeners, what is the correct age to... You went there. This oh, was this one no. was not me. You opened up this door. What is the correct age to start peeling penises like onions? This as I don't know puberty. As also, as- does Kim have a problem for how often she says that phrase? That's for our listeners to decide and you to find out. It's I look forward to hearing their thoughts on this subject. Oh, we're going to make so many people uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, but also I'm not all at the same time. Oh, no. Buddy, I'm sorry. If you're jogging and listening to this. Oh, my God, Kim. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, you started this tangent, this one. This tangent is all you. Okay. Sure. Okay. So. He was tried in 1999 for their murders, along with 25 other charges of indecently dealing with five other girls aged under 14 from 1970 to 1977. Jeez. But a verdict could not be reached. What? And because this dude had dementia that kept getting worse, the court decided he was too senile to stand a second trial. Oh, my God. That's insane. If it makes you feel better, he died in 2002. Well, at least he's gone, but, like, he never got the punishment. He was 90 when he died. Yeah, no, that's messed up. I don't like that. No. Hey, girl, I'm with you. He was looked at as a suspect in the Beaumont children's disappearance. But, like, we should note he would have been 53 when they were abducted. Which also would check because of his pattern. Well, sure, but think about the description of the man that they were seen with. Yes, but not everyone looks like their age. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, he was described, the, the man who was seen with the children was described as being 30 to 40. But you are correct. People do not necessarily look their age. And as we were just talking about, eyewitness accounts are notoriously unreliable. Yeah. And also, okay, and we'll, we'll have to post the side-by-side because there were sketches done of the dude that was seen with him at the beach and mm-hmm. sketches of Arthur Stanley Brown. And I will say they look alarmingly similar. He has a really distinct, narrow face. Mm-hmm. The skinny face. It's a real skinny face. And, and you look at the sketches of the guy. We'll post to our Instagram uh, so you can kind of compare and contrast. It It, it is... A little alarming. Uh, He was eliminated as a suspect in the Beaumont children's disappearance in 2001, as well as in Joanne and Kirstie's disappearance, because the Queensland police 
couldn't find any evidence. 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 That he had been in Adelaide at the time of uh, either the girls' abductions or the Beaumont children's. Or that he had ever actually been to South Australia. So there is that. And he's dead now. So... Was he the person responsible for either of these children's disappearance, any of these children's disappearances? We may never know. Uh, he was not the only suspect, though. Okay, who else we got? All right, I'm going to bring you another name. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I'm going to mispronounce this name. Perfect. Part of me, you know, honestly, part of me doesn't mind when I mispronounce horrible humans' names. No, fuck it. Go for it. Bevan Spencer von Eymann. Bevan. Einem? Einem. Bevan. It's an awesome name. He's a shitty person. So, like, that cancels out your awesome name. Sorry, dude. Um, if this is ringing a bell with anybody, it is because he was involved in a rather infamous set of murders. Oh. Referred to as the family murders, which are worthy of their own episode. Because, holy crap, Gabby... I started reading about this. It's bizarre and upsetting. It is absolutely in its entirety, its own episode. So Baron Spencer von Einem was a child sex offender, murderer, possible serial killer. Oh, trifecta. Also, also an accountant. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Uh, he was convicted in 1984 for raping and murdering a 15-year-old boy named Richard Kelvin. He abducted Richard near his home. He proceeded to torture and rape him over the next five weeks. He murdered him, dumped his body. An autopsy showed that he had most likely died. <sighs> And I'm sorry because this is horrifying. He most likely died from blood loss, Ugh. from an anal injury, possibly the result of a beer bottle. Oh my God. Or similarly shaped blunt object being inserted into his anus. This is why we gave a warning at the beginning, folks. Jesus. Uh, he'd been drugged with multiple substances, and that actually was what they were able to use to trace back to von Einem. Even better, the reason his name rang a bell with police when it came up was that he had already been questioned in the deaths of three other young men, as well as the sexual assault of another Go team. I mean, if there's anything that we can take away from this is there is a pattern of problematic people doing things many times. Like, yeah, shitty people going to be shitty over and over again. Yeah. Like, it's not there's a suspect who could have done this in a one off. It's like, no, that there's people out there that do this kind of stuff all the time and like. It's really I mean, up. it's it's you look at like I, the the example I always like to bring up, and and um, for those non-local humans who may not realize this, is Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. 
Ridgway was first questioned in 1983. Do you want to take a gander as to when Ridgway was arrested? Uh, not until way later. Yeah, like 2001. Way, way, way later. Yeah. 2001. I was going to say, I know it was like in the early 2000s, but I yeah. don't know the exact date off the top of my head. So, I mean, I again, I, I get it. If you don't have the evidence, you can't arrest somebody. And, and I respect that because people are arrested who shouldn't be. Um, I don't have a good answer. I just, it's just very upsetting. So anyway, they, they question him. They are able to, to have enough probable cause to uh, take samples from his home, which matched things found on, on, you know, Richard's body. Mm -hmm. But this is where things get weird. And I realized they were already kind of weird. Police tracked down a former associate of Von Einens. Ooh. Who's only ever referred to as Mr. B. Mr. B gave police all sorts of details about all of the young men. Young meaning like over 13, under 20. Sure. Hitchhikers, mostly hitchhikers, that he and Von Einem would pick up, drug, rape, and then let go. Which, my God. Um, according to Mr. B, others are involved in this as well. Mr. B was very quick to point out that he never helped out in a murder. So good for you, buddy. Good for you. Give him a cookie. Which, like, I love a dude that's all like, hey, man, I might be a rapist, but I'm not a murderer. <laughs> High five. Pat on the High back. Congratulations. Five. Uh, this is all enough to arrest and charge Von Einem with Richard's murder. Not enough to charge him with any other man's murder or assault. Um, but he, he was convicted and remains the primary suspect in four other very similar murders of young men. Uh, so, so the title, the family murders, I mentioned when I first started talking mm -hmm. about this dude. Um, mm -hmm. Police are investigating and realize it's not just von Einem. There is apparently a group of men who are referred to as the family, who are basically part of some kind of awful network of men who abducted and raped young men, Jeez. as many as a hundred and fifty, as well as murdering some of them. <sighs> Wow. And as, as I said, like, this right here, this whole thing is so bonkers and intricate. This is a whole episode, and it's lonesome. Like, Sounds like it. I, it's, it's, you know. Um, that being said, <laughs> in regards to the Beaumont case, I, I struggle seeing how they could have been connected because... They seem to be heavily invested in young men. And by young men, I mean, again, like over 13. <laughs> None of the Beaumont children were. Grant right. was the only boy in the group. He was four. But Mr. B gave a statement that Von Einem bragged about abducting three children from the beach. Conducting, quote, experiments on them. Oh, no, I don't like that. 
According to Mr. B, he said he performed surgery on them to, quote, connect them. What? Yeah, like, is this the human centipede? I don't even know what to do with this. What the hell? Uh, according to Mr. B, one of the kids died during the procedure. So yeah. he killed the other two and disposed of their bodies. What did he think was going to happen? I, I <sighs> this whole, like, I, mm, I have questions. <laughs> I have, so, Gabby, I have so many questions. And like, I, okay, but here's the thing. I really struggle getting behind this because beyond how bizarre it all sounds, as I've already said, these kids don't meet the criteria of his victims. And the thing is, Von Eymann, when the kids disappeared, when the Beaumont children disappeared, he would have been like 20 years old. Also, were any children's bodies found like that? Ever? Mm. I mean, well, the Beaumont children's bodies were never found. But I'm just saying in general, like if well, no, if not he's that, claiming to have done something. Oh, just them, though. That was his whole like, oh, I thought this would be fun. I don't know. Uh, Mr. B also said that he admitted to kidnapping and then murdering Joanne and Kirstie. But again, like young girls, not his thing. Do you think that he might have said things like that just to get like a reputation amongst the people he was I, with? I question Mr. B because the thing is, is Mr. B beyond the fact that anytime you're dealing with a person whose identity is hidden, um, Mr. B admitted compliance in some of the illegal activities. And so how much was he giving to save his own ass? How many details was he just throwing out there to throw off the scent from him? So Von Eymann is still alive, <laughs> still in prison because he's the worst um, and deserves not just to have his penis peeled like an onion. But oh, here like, we go again. Oh, okay, I'm not done. No, not just peeled <laughs> like an onion, dipped in salt and then covered in honey and had ants dropped on top of it. Awesome. Really went there this time. That was am great. I, am I wrong? No, but that's just a visual. You're welcome. <laughs> um. Also, okay, here, here, here's, here's a fun fact about this dude. He's been in prison since the mid-80s. He's mm -hmm. also raped a number of other inmates. Of course he has, because that's closer to his M.O. But, like, can we just dip him in honey and cover him in ants? I mean, I, I mean, like, I'm not normally like, hey, I hope this person dies. But honestly, I hope this human dies. Let's be real. I'm not going to shed a tear when he finally dies. All right, we know how Kim Douthat feels. I love it. Well, am I wrong? No, I mean, I hear you loud and clear. Like, he sounds like a horrible human that is just doing terrible things and should not exist. Should not exist. And as I mentioned at the start of the section, this is an insanely abridged account of everything that he was involved in and what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, because our focus is, again, on the Beaumont children. Right. Uh, but I'm serious that... I will probably cover him at some point for either the podcast, talk about the family murders, or maybe some bonus content for Patreon. But that whole thing, super messed up. Yeah. Uh, one other name gets thrown out there, Harry Phipps. Harry Phipps owned a warehouse that was one of the spots that our, like, Dutch psychic stupid man said housed the remains of the Beaumont children. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's his official title. That's I psychic really like stupid that. man. Thank yeah, you. it's great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so 
more than one young girl accused him of, of sexual assault. One girl accused him of, of raping them and sodomizing them. He was accused by his own son of abuse from the ages of three to 13. Uh, and his son Hayden, the one that accused him of abuse, said that he'd seen the Beaumont children with his father. That being said, the grounds of the warehouse were excavated a number of times, most recently as 2018. Nothing has ever been found there, ever. So, and, and Phipps, one surviving son, maintains that everything his brother said was false and his father was not like that. Um, I, like, I see Harry Phipps' name come up, and there is actually, a, I think, one book written about him that's very convinced he did it. But honestly, I did not see a whole lot of compelling evidence evidence to connect him to the Beaumonts. Do I think he was a great guy? No. There is some evidence to suggest he was a shitty human. But uh, we've talked about a bunch of shitty humans in, yeah, in this section. So, yay. Yay, shitty humans. Um, um, only to give Kim a reason to discuss peeling a penis like an onion multiple times. It's apparently my favorite subject. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so I, need a, I need a t-shirt that says that. Maybe that's what our merch should be. Peel a penis like an onion? We'll just send people, like, <laughs> carrot peelers and onions in the mail. <laughs> I feel awful. Like, listen, it's... There I, can no. be, like, a contest of peeling an onion <laughs> into the shape of a penis. And then that could be, you know, a whole thing. Friends, if you have ideas, please share them with us. Please share them with us. I don't know. I, I don't mean to be so cavalier about it. I just... There's, there's some of these crimes, especially when they involve children... The children ones get to me a little bit. Yeah. And um, I think they get to a lot of people. That's normal because it's so, they're such like innocent little people that, like, I mean, it's terrible that anyone is ever affected by a murder or a crime like this, but like, especially when it's a kid, it's just. It's, it's upsetting. It's, extra it's very hard. upsetting. It's extra yeah. hard. Uh, there's been other names that have popped up as possible suspects, but, um, most have either been eliminated or dismissed because there was no real connection. It's very possible that whoever did this, whoever is responsible for their disappearance, has never even popped up on a list of names. Um, and again, it, it's it's hard because this case happened in '66. It's been mm-hmm. it's been a while, over fifty five years. It's been uh, a while. At, at the end of the day. Even if their remains were found, I don't know how many other, I don't know how much more evidence that would offer us. Evidence. Evidence. It would offer us some peace of mind, but uh, this is one of those cases that I think I felt similarly when I, when I covered Black Dahlia. Um, yeah. I don't know that we'll ever have an answer for what happened. And, yeah. and that's, that's rough. That's sad. I don't know. What do you think? Do any of the suspects scenarios sound more reliable than others? Sound more I feel likely? like the guy who had dementia, what was his oh, name? Oh, Arthur Fuckface Brown. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I feel like his, his that name. was his actual name, his formal <laughs> name. Yes. Um, his, he seemed to me based on everything that you shared the most likely um, and I think what frustrates me more about his situation is that even if he 
wasn't the one at fault for the Beaumont children. He still did a bunch of messed up stuff and was never really held accountable for any of it. No. So like that, that just pisses me off. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would think I I would lean more toward him. What do you think? Where where are you at? (sighs) Honestly, um, I kind of lean towards somebody who we don't have a name for. Well, and I, I, part of what kind of I think about more recently, the update mm-hmm. we gave on the Point Defiance mm-hmm. murders, like, uh, in in both of those cases, the dudes didn't have any other charges against them. It was two separate guys who murdered two young girls. It doesn't always have to be a pattern for it to be it doesn't, a thing. It doesn't always have to be a pattern. Like, I, I hate to say it. Um, it's in some ways easier to think it's somebody who's so monstrous they've done this over and over. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to think about somebody doing this because they had the opportunity who maybe never did it again. Uh, so I, I, I genuinely wonder if it's somebody who's maybe never crossed their radar because they either didn't offend again or they never did anything that caught the attention of authorities. But if we have to look at the people talked about, then yeah, Arthur fuckface. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I do think it, like he did live in a different region. Uh, he definitely killed the McKay girls. I don't have any question in my mind about that. But um, the other children lived in a different area and we don't have the evidence. Evidence. To suggest he was there. We don't have the evidence to evidence. suggest he was not there. True. But I, I like facts. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just sad. It's just sad. It is very sad. Uh, so now that I've bummed y'all out, that's the story of the Beaumont children. You're welcome. Yay. Thank you. Kim, Kim. bumming people out for always. Thank you. That's well done. Do. Yeah. Very compelling. Love and unsolved. And this brings us <laughs> to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what horror movie are you watching now for 100 <laughs> Days of Horror? So many, so many, Gabby. You know so many. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so Wait, you're I actually watched... watching the good, the bad, and the ugly? Uh, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've watched actually a couple good ones recently. I just saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, I heard about that. I loved it. I thought it was hysterical. Was it Uh, meant to be hysterical? Yes. No, it's a black comedy. It's very much a black comedy. Um, It's, it's, again, I I thought it was really well acted, um, really well done. Uh, It's playing, I think, currently only in theaters. But it it's it's very much a whodunit kind of film. Um, it's it's very witty. It's fu- it's so funny. There was it was funny because again I saw it in theaters and it's it's very much a like Gen Z kind of uh, I don't know the portrayal of like Gen Z. You've got this group of of young people and and how they work social media and how they work their the language the it's I don't know. Um, <laughs> the 
way you're talking about it is very funny. It's like, uh, it's all about young kids and their, like, lingo well, and stuff. No, like, because I have, like, teen students, and I was watching this movie, and, and the movie is, like, a bunch of 20-somethings, but I'm watching this movie just being like, oh, God, I think I had a teenager say that to me last week, you know? Like, um... It's, there, there's a moment where you've got people who are dead and they're yelling at each other, being like, you're a toxic human. You're triggering me. You're so toxic. And I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous and it's intended to be ridiculous, but it's really well done. I, I know it's interesting because amongst, like, horror fans, I've been seeing some – people seem to either be loving it or hating it. Mixed I reviews. loved it. I thought it was very, very funny. And nice. – uh, but if, if you're going in expecting some kind of hardcore horror, you're going to be disappointed. The other movie that I watched that I thought was just fantastic was Prey. Oh, yeah. That is the new Predator movie. Uh, I am a big fan of the Predator franchise. The original is, is, is amazing. The sequels have been... Eh. I have a strange affection in my heart for the Predator vs. Aliens portion of the franchise. Like, they're sure. horrible, but they're, like, really fun horrible. Nice. But this most recent one, it takes place in 1719 mm-hmm. with the Predator coming down. And um, basically the uh, clashing with this, this young woman, which is amazing, uh, a young Comanche woman. And it's, it's honestly, I would almost go as far to say, like, I love the original. The original's fantastic. I think I enjoyed this more. I've it, heard that. I've heard that from a couple people, actually. I haven't seen it yet, but it's, I heard. And it's, it's one of the things I love. You do not have to be a fan of the franchise to enjoy this film. Sure. Like, I think there's some things that'll make you appreciate it more, but you have this just badass woman, uh, the Naru, who's the the primary character. Um, the actress's name is Amber Midthunder, and she is so good. You also have this, like, awesome dog, so Gabby, you'll love that. There's a Yay! great dog. Like, this dog just wins. This dog is amazing. But it's it's... It's really beautifully done. The cinematography is fantastic. They spend time in the beginning. Like, you you feel like you know the characters. You care about the characters. You care about what they're going through in their journey. It's really fantastic. I would not be shocked if this ended up making my top ten of the year. Nice. Uh, so, so those are the good that I've been watching lately. Two films I would highly encourage both recent releases. What have you been watching? Nice. That's awesome. I have not been watching as much. I've actually been, well, I watched something a while ago that I forgot to share and I wanted to share because I have a feeling you and our listeners would enjoy it um, because I know you like sharks. I do. and it's been like Shark Week mania on Discovery Plus for a bit, even though it it's much more than like a week, right? Like, sure. Um, yeah. uh, there is a, um, a show. It's called Sharks with Tracy Morgan. And it's with basically Tracy Morgan? It's basically Tracy Morgan talking about how much he loves sharks, but he can't pronounce the formal names for them. So then you'll see like a little out a little bit from like an actual scientist talking about 
like sharks and their heritage <laughs> and like who they are and where they come from and all that. Uh, and he just basically is like, I love sharks and making Tracy Morgan jokes the entire time. Nice. Um, it is very funny. There's only one episode. <laughs> it's on Discovery Plus, and it's called Sharks! Exclamation point with Tracy Morgan. Uh, sure. And I think it's like a Tracy Morgan special called Sharks with Tracy Morgan. It's just a very funny, like, title name. If you like Tracy Morgan, you should watch it. It's really stupid and it's very fun. Um, I really genuinely think you would love it. All right, I'll check it out. I love Shark Week, so, you know. Yeah, you would really, you'd be super into it, and it would make you giggle. So I, I always love anything that can make me giggle. So, uh sure. I tend to sit on the or err on the side of uh, trash TV and comedy, um, but I've also been listening to some audiobooks lately. Oh, and I have some news for our our listeners that don't know this yet, but you know this, so I, I will do. tell this to our listeners: is that my husband and I are getting a puppy um, in like three less than three weeks, and um, his oh. name is Spooky Mulder. <laughs> And um, it takes after mom with the molder, hence the name. Couldn't name him Scully because that's Kim. That's uh, me. So Spooky Molder is coming home in like three weeks. And so I wanted to make sure that we did some studying that we could make sure that we're ready to have this baby nugget. Um, and he is a mini Bernadoodle. So a hypoallergenic baby for my allergies. And so I um, started listening to this book with my husband. It's called How to Raise the Perfect Dog um, by Melissa Joe. Peltier and Caesar Milan of the Dog Whisperer, Caesar Milan. Um, heard some good things about him. Not quite sure how verifiable they are, but I figured I could learn some stuff that I didn't already know. Uh, and it's already been kind of helpful, which is good about kind of identifying qualities of a puppy and knowing what to look for and what ages are good for learning certain things and how to communicate. Um, so I'm really excited to get through that book, but I've also been listening to another audiobook um, called Out of Office, which was referred to me by one of my really close friends. Um, the book is by Charlie Warzel and Anne Helen Peterson. And it's basically, I believe it was written in beginning, I think of 2021. And it talks a little bit about people who work from home um, and companies that support work from home lifestyles after like post pandemic, it was kind of like a book that came out right as people started going back to offices um, after the pandemic and kind of how to have a healthy work environment, but also support yourself independently. Um, and I think from a mental health perspective, uh, for those of us that work from home, that's a, a great place to be if you have your own company or work for a startup. It's a really interesting perspective to hear. Um, and it just talks a little bit about how to have balance in your life when it comes to your living space being occupied by work as often as it is. Um, so a really interesting book, none of which is spooky, other than the fact that the dog is named Spooky. So um, also fun fact, naming your dog an adjective is really fun when you have to put spooky vaccinations into your calendar. But anywho, um, we are sneaking up on Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. It's it's we coming are. up October 8th and 9th, and we are getting prepared. We're very excited about it. Um, if you would like to come, look it up. It is P 
pnwtruecrimefest.com. We have a discount code that you can use to get 15% off your tickets. Um, it is local to the Pacific Northwest, so it is in um, it's near Seattle in Washington, I believe Auburn more specifically. Um, and it's uh, I believe our discount code is ghoulish15. So check that out if you'd like 15% off on your tickets. If you'd like to come and see us do a live episode recording, it's going to be very exciting. Um, That's the other news that we have, but not so new. We've talked about it previously. And if you like what we do, check us out on our social meds. Look up Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast wherever you find it. I promise you will find us. Uh, Patreon, we also have a space where you can donate income uh, to us so we can have some income uh, and provide you with continuous support, fun topics, and even take some suggestions too for topics in the future. So having said that, thank you so much for listening and... Stay spooky!